Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. live from upstairs studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico with me, Rebecca and Rachel. How you both doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm glad, glad to be with you. We got to jump into this. I got to get your takes. I haven't asked you guys the mushroom question yet, have I? Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, so mushroom scenario, I've been asking everybody, um, uh, 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 a meteorite grazes the Earth's atmosphere, or maybe it's a meteor, it's a meteorite when it comes into the atmosphere, right? Um, A meteor grazes the Earth's atmosphere, releases some radiation, causes all humankind to start growing body mushrooms. Um, You have to, you have to, you, you have to eat your own body mushrooms at least once a week or you die, but with sheer willpower, you can decide where on your body your mushrooms grow. So my question to you is, where would you want your mushrooms to grow? I already have it. I just, I, I don't know. I have to say this because it naturally popped up as you were describing this. So I feel like it's my instinctual place, my armpits. Oh, yeah. like, cause then like, you know, you don't have to like wear them like outwardly, but like, you know, you can just, it's like shaving. Um, just you just take a quick knife you know mm-hmm. and carefully just just like you would you know the ones you get from the grocery store that come in a little bunch you just do a little yep that's cute little and then yeah. there you go and you know um uh, they're not like the tastiest thing in the first place so eh. well if yeah. they're growing in your pits though they'd be naturally salted so that wouldn't be it's bad true. yeah that's yeah true. okay i like that one rachel where would you grow your mushrooms i was thinking like um Along the hairline in the back of my neck, my hair would cover it. Like you'd never know. See uh, yeah. a couple uh, that's that's already been suggested. Um, I, I think I think that's I think both of those hiding them is kind of kind of cheating or kind of a cop out because everybody on the planet has body mushrooms, and so if you if yours are hidden, everybody's going to be thinking, well. So what if it mushrooms? was like? So like, what if are you thinking like, oh, well then you know what? If that's the way we're going, I I want them on my fingers, like. Think about it. You have the coolest mushrooms there. You know what I mean? Like my mushrooms are better than your mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll I have a proud. question. Do we do we get to choose like what type of mushroom? Because there oh, sure. are you can, so you can many will mushrooms. you can you can will into existence the kind of mushrooms you want. Okay. There's some like, really beautiful mushrooms. ones. There's like some purple <laughs> mushrooms. There's like fancy looking ones. There's ones that look like dicks. So you don't want those. Well, maybe you <laughs> do. Or maybe I, I'm, not, I'm not a mushroom fan, so I I just the the other problem we came up with with back of the neck is that you get hair tangled in them. So when you had to eat them, you'd be pulling hair out of your hair out of, out of your, your oh yeah, that's true. Touché. Rebecca being yeah, in, in my being in my scenario, I imagine the mushrooms kind of replace the hair. Oh yeah, 
Well, see, mine were kind of doing that. I was go. I'm growing eyebrow mushrooms because I'm trying to. I want. I want bushy oh. old man eyebrows. So I just have the little <laughs> tiny ones growing right there, and I just pick them and yeah, eat you them. Can just, yeah, you can just pop them in whenever you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good, good. I got. I got another one for you. Um, might as well throw it out there. So I'm starting a new. You know the the kids game uh operation where you take the yeah. little th- tweezers and you try it. to get the. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking about a real life version of that, and so. On this game show, you you get to pick the kind of surgery that you think you can do, and you have forty eight hours to study, uh, to prepare yourself, and then you have to do the surgery. What kind? And, and the goal is that your your patient not only live but thrive afterward. Um, what kind of uh, what kind of operation do you think you could perform? Let's Does it have to be life threatening? Like it has to be like a major surgery? Because I mean, no, you it could can do like. No, it can be, it can be, it can be elective. Um, who was it? Somebody thought she could do a no, a good nose job. Um, okay. I, I started I, thinking I could do a, I could do a minor amputation, but I moved up to a C-section. Um, what do you, what do you got? I think um, any patient I have would be screwed. Like I pass out at the side of blood. So <laughs> you can say whatever surgery, but um, I won't be performing it. <laughs> <laughs> you used to do the arthroscopic. Is that what it's called when they don't show much blood? You just like stick a oh, camera like in the there. mic, like yeah, like <laughs> laser or something. Yeah, yeah. With those little cameras or something. Yeah. Yes, I could do something like that, but no. Okay, so no, whatever in- you pick, you just pass out. So that that wouldn't be. You're not going to go very far in the game. <laughs> what do you What do you pick, Rebecca? Um, I would do like because I mean, in honor of operation, if this is the inspiration here, I would do some type of removal of maybe like like an appendix, a gallbladder perhaps. Yeah. A cyst yeah. even. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I think see, I, think I, get, I like having a like a very specific goal, you know, like get the thing out. You know what? I'm sorry, that just made me think I could be like Dr. Pimple Popper. Like I could oh, do yeah. that. I could I could remove a cyst. Now. Yeah. I don't know if that, I, I think, is that more of a procedure than a surgery? But she cuts stuff out. Yeah, when you, when you go she inside does. of the body. Because you have uh, to get okay. the sack, you have to get the cyst sack out. This, oh. Yeah, there's a thing. <laughs> You're I have welcome. a cyst on my wrist. It's a ganglion cyst, which is not like a pimple. But I have a ganglion cyst, and they told me that they I wouldn't even need to go under that they would just numb my wrist, mm-hmm. and I could watch them cut it out of I was oh, like, I couldn't watch. See, I would, I would totally let my patient watch. Um, uh, this morning I recorded with, uh, with Brett, and she thought she could replace a foot bone. She thought she could uh, Ooh, had somebody that had, that needed a, yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I, I, yeah, that's the, that's the bravest I think. Um, that anybody's come up with. So, so think or about it. I'm, I'm still trying to get funding for the game to get it on the air. But I think since there's that uh, that actors and writers strike going on, I think this uh, more more non-scripted kind of yeah. So I think we might be able to get the show on maybe you know not on not not on a big network or anything, but uh, maybe Hulu or or something might pick it up. Um, so look for that, <laughs> listeners. The childcare bar and grill <laughs> operation game on the on the game show channel near you. Um, so what do you want to talk about? Hey, listeners, uh, that first six, seven minutes of this episode happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, technical difficulties on my end uh, uh, kind of ruined just 
fucked up the recording session. So uh, Rachel and Rebecca are kind enough to get back with me. Uh, all of that is supposed to be have have, have been fixed. Uh, the, the tech guy showed up when he was scheduled, uh, replaced my modem, replaced a wire, uh, left. Everything seemed to be working fine. Showed up an hour and a half later because he thought, oh, there's one more thing I should check. Fixed one other thing um, unannounced, uh, just kind of while he was driving to to another, another appointment, he thought of it and decided to come back so i can't complain about the 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 quality of the service as long as the quality of the service keeps up so we were going to start a conversation about participation and encouraging forcing making um children participate in things they might be reluctant to is that what we're talking about rebecca yeah yeah i, th I think it's more about like what strategies are still respectful and allow child children to make decisions and choices um and what's not right what are what's manipulative what's forcing um and then sometimes i think it's it's good to have a conversation of like sometimes it is okay to like force a kid to do something say like go to camp right like maybe this your eight-year-old's really scared to go to camp and it's just something a threshold that they you might want to just go for a week if you don't like it I'll come pick you up or whatever. Um, and so I think there's just different situations where kids might need different support or people to back off. Um, and so I, I don't know, it's just an interesting conversation to have because I find myself um, when I'm engaging with children of all ages, really, um, I, I just noticed that I, I'm not consistent with the way that I approach that. And I, I wondered why, is it because I'm being inconsistent? Do I need to be consistent or is there like a lot of room for situational, you know, situational decision-making when it comes to, to that? So I had a version of this happen with an adult I happen to be married to not too long ago. And it's been, <laughs> it's been a recurring theme in our relationship. Um, I, I, I suggest things. She is reluctant. Um, some period of time later, she tries them and then she's like, Oh, Okay. Um, and so this most recent one in, involved her bike. She's been having having um some some wrist pain riding her bike. And and she finally decided she wanted me to to raise the the handlebars on on her bike. And I had to order a a, a new little little stem thing to to do that. And I ordered it and waited a couple of days and she was like, oh, that fixed it. And then and then I got to do the I told you so because I got to tell her I've had that thing in in the Amazon shopping cart uh, on my on my wish list for 11 and a half months since I first suggested it when you had you said you had the wrist pain and you were like nah and and so I'm not going to say I told you so, but and um, so I could have pushed. Should I have? I mean, it's. I think it's definitely different in a partnership, like relationship. One hundred percent. I think because when you're both when you're two adults, like for example, with kids, like sometimes they're not able to see the bigger picture. They might not be able to see like. You know, they might be a little bit help, more held down by their fears or, or something. They don't know why, sure. how something's going to happen, right? Like what, what will it be like if I go ride my bike at the BMX park um, versus I feel like adults, we have a little bit more experience. So I think it's, it's different, but um, I think it's, it's a good strategy as far as like you mentioned it, you probably mentioned it a couple of times, didn't get too pushy with it. 
you had the thing ready to go for when she was ready. And I think that is a, a strategy to use for children sometimes, right? Like even with like potty training, right? Like we're not going to be pushy, but I'll mention it. Do you want to sit on the potty? Here's the potty when you want it. Um, so those are situations where I feel like children really do need a lot of time and space and ability to make those decisions. Yeah. And, and you had a BMX park story, huh? That's kind of related to this. Yeah. Yeah. I took my, um, I was nannying and I took my kiddo. She was at the time, like three and a half. Um, and she's been riding her balance bike, you know, the ones without pedals. And so she's really good at it. I mean, she can cruise on it and she's got her core strength. And uh, we go on these little bunny hills in this like dilapidated park near her house. And she really likes them. And I thought, let me see if there's a park I could take her to that, you know, that could be a little more formal, maybe some other kids out there encouraging, because that's a way to encourage children, right, is to put them around other people doing the thing that they might want to do. And so I, I took her to this BMX park and it, part of it is really big with like the big kid, like teenager, big jumps and things like that. Um, but yeah, it goes down into like smaller and smaller and smaller sections. And, and I took her on a weekday, so it was super low key. And yeah, so I, we took her to the, I took her to the first little baby hill and she didn't want to do it. So we sat down and we just watched for a while and then she mustered up the courage. We had some snack and I was like, do you want to try again? And so she went and she tried and, and we put her on the first hill and she went down and she fell like immediately. And I think, um, she was a little fearful and she wasn't as confident with her movements and she immediately wanted to go home. So I like went up to her and I helped calm her down. And she was like, I want to go home. And I think that that was just that sometimes you have to like know your kid. Like this is just a moment of like stress for her. You know, she's hurt. She's upset. I'm not her mom. You know, I'm her nanny. And I think it was just like, I want to go home. I want to be in my comfort zone. And I think when kids do that, um, it's important to not just immediately say, okay, let's go. I, I told her, I, you know, I, I hear you want to go home. We can go home, but let's stay for a little while longer and see how you feel in in 10 minutes, I think I said, or so I gave some amount of time and then we'll try again. So then she was okay with that. We sat down and after a while, she still didn't like jump up to try again, but I was like, are you willing to try a different hill? And then I gave her like a strategy because she had fallen. So I thought maybe if I give her um, some way that I might mitigate that a little bit more. I'm like, oh, I'll have a, I fall, I'll run with you as you're biking. And so she was like, cool. I think that kind of like sealed the deal because I was like, here's this thing that's scary for you. A scary thing happened. And here's how I'm going to support you. And so then she was able to do it. We stayed for an hour and a half. She was going on all these hills. She was laughing. She was asking, can we come back tomorrow? And so it was a moment for me when I felt that that little bit of not listening to her immediate request to go home was beneficial. And I think that it's easy for us to, to feel like as, as child-led educators, it can feel like we're not being respectful of a child when they say those things and we don't listen. But I think it's important for us to know that child-led doesn't mean that we just go by everything that they say at any given moment. Sure. So, Rachel, you made another little human life and uh, have, have kept him alive for seven years. Have you had any experiences along these lines with him? Um, he, I'm trying to think what, I mean, he's terrified of school. Of he always, is he, he always ready, ready <laughs> to try everything. No, he's not. Um, 
and I'm curious to see like next summer how he's going to be with swimming but um I'll say like you know we discussed earlier about the go-kart rolling and he was a little intimidated about getting back in there um so we set it kind of with I feel like it's the way that we approach um if he doesn't want to do something I think it's really important that I don't get angry or upset about it like if he's like you know, if he's like, I don't, mom, I'm scared. I'm nervous to do this. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, now we have these, um, now we know put our seatbelts on every time, wear a helmet every time. Like that's, he always did. I didn't lesson learned. Um, but I'm like, you know, that's what kept you safe. So we have safety, like we're planners. Like that's, that's just, so we set up a plan, even if it's something. And that's what he tells me. He's like, mom, um, being brave is conquering. Sometimes you have to face your fears. And so whenever he's nervous to do something, he's like, will you hold my hand? I'm going to face my fears. And I'm like, of course, that's what I'm here for is to support you, you know, just being that strong support for him. Yeah. See, and I think that he feels he's able to like use that mantra because it's probably something he's heard over and over again, but not mm-hmm. in a, you need to face your fears type right. of way. It's more of like, it's okay to have fears and the way to get over them sometimes is to address it. And I'm here to support you in doing that. You know, I think there's like a difference in energy from like, you got to face your fears to like, it's okay to face your fears and it's okay if you don't want to. Yeah. That's kind of like the way that we approach it. But I know I like, again, like I said, I feel it's really important not getting that like frustrated, angry tone. There are times where I'm like, you know, I found this really cool art project we're going to do and I'll ask kids in my class and I'm like, really? you won't do it once for your mom like come on but that is a thought that I try to keep to myself yeah more so than like can we can we just make a line okay so your mom thinks I'm doing something with you make a line (laughs) sometimes they do right they come over and they like do a little dot (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm like you know what that's going on the wall it's fine you did it just to placate (laughs) you so doing anything that's new to us or different for us comes with a level of risk because we humans were wired to be uncomfortable with, with, with risk, with change, with different. Um, we're, we're very comfortable with the status quo. And so we've got to get out of our comfort zone. And, and, and so that risk comes with, with that fear you mentioned for, for everything. And it's not just, it's not just physical things. It's not just riding the bike on the, on the, on the dirt bike, uh, path. It's, it's, uh, social things, it's emotional things. It's, it's playing with new ideas and so I, I think maybe we do need to do some nudging along at times, but then something I just dodged down while you were talking, um, Rachel, is is how does this bump up against no means no? So if we if we if we instill kids this idea, that, yeah, go ahead. I feel that it's knowing the child. So like our personal experience, you know, we're talking about my son. I I, I like to think I know him pretty well. Um, so I can tell when he's serious about his no, and I can tell when it's like, I kind of want to, but mm, you know, like I'm going to pull back right now. And it's in those moments where I'm like, I can read his body language and I know him that I'm like, okay, will it help you if mom's right there? Will it help you if dad shows you first? And it also, that's the other thing sometimes like, okay, no, but let's watch this get done first because it is something that scares you, you know, let's 
let's say it's like entering the classroom. Okay, that's fine. You know, it, you, you eventually have to come into the classroom, but maybe watching your friend walk in first and seeing how he's greeted or the choice that he's greeted is important. I think I just, no does mean no, but I think you have to know the child. And as educators and childcare providers, we need to know our, the children in our class to the best of our ability so that we can make those decisions of respecting no when it's a real no and understanding when it's just like, I'm nervous, I want mm -hmm. to do it. And the key word there is I want to, but I'm nervous, you know? Right. And sometimes they don't always know how to say that. So they say no. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. And so I think, yeah, I think it, it really does go back to relationships because I mean, with my kid, I was nannying. I had known her since she was 18 months old, you know, and I was with her every day for a very long time. And so when she had that moment of like, I want to go home, I want to go home. Like, I mean, I could have taken her home, it would have been fine and nothing would have come of it, but then she probably wouldn't have wanted to go back to that BMX park. Um, and so, yeah, it was really just knowing that this was a moment for her, like it was a moment. And so I think if you're able to recognize that this is a fleeting moment, um, then see if that passes, you know, and a lot of times it will. Um, and, and so I think it's, it really does like this podcast always comes back to, to relationships and mm -hmm. knowing, knowing the, the human beings that you're caring for. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons that, that continuity of care is so important in the early years where children are with the same caregiver or group of caregivers for multiple years. It's just, it gives those, those relationships an opportunity to grow and develop when, when you're a kid in an, an institutionalized uh, setting where every time you have a birthday or maybe, maybe even more frequently, you're plopped into another room. I mean, sometimes it just happens when you meet a developmental milestone. <laughs> stone. Oops. You start walking, you start crawling. You can't be in the infant room anymore. You go into the mobile infant room and then you start walking, then boom, you're in the toddler room, however it works. And so at, just about at least yearly, sometimes more frequently, kids are, are popped into new environments where they start all over with the relationships. And so it's very, it's, it's more challenging for caregivers in, in those kind of settings to be able to read those kids as effectively as you were able to with this little girl you'd been with for, for most of her life. Yeah. And I think I it's, it's, it's a, it's reminding me of when I was a toddler teacher. So I had, uh, I was a toddler teacher, one to two year olds for three years. And I struggled sending them to the twos room because it was just on their birthday. It could be any day of the year. Um, cause it's on like different licenses. Right. And so once they hit two, they had to go. And I just felt like they just don't know these babies, like they're going, sure. and then, you know, the two, the two-year-old room is like a lot for a toddler to go from like a one to four. Um, and in California, it's one to 12. We didn't have that. We did one to eight, I think, but still it's a big difference. It's double the amount of people. And I would try my best. I would like make a little, like all about me card for each of my kids as they moved up. Like, this is how they best go to sleep. This is their typical, like, appetite so they're not worried if this kid isn't eating or you know different things that I would I would put on there and it just never felt like it's just not enough it's not enough like you can't put everything onto a piece of paper I gotta know so, how that worked did they did they did they get to spend their birthday with you or it's like the day before they their birthday they they shove them into a new room they hand them a piece of cake and shove them into a new room on their birthday so that yeah on their birthday they were allowed to come into the toddler room to celebrate with us if they brought something but then they had to go to the two's room oh that's <laughs> shitty yeah oh, so, like 
And they weren't even allowed to visit before. Like they're not allowed to visit the two's room because they're not two yet and they're on a different license. <laughs> so like my big thing is at, at like where I work right now, I feel like it's a really big jump. It's literally like floor movement. It's not just down the hallway. They're going upstairs when they come to me. So I feel like there's a big, like, that's a big transition for somebody so little. Yeah. And I remember, like, you know, when my son transit did a transition like that, I, it was hard on me, too. It's hard on the parents, too, like, because you get accustomed to the teacher. You build a relationship, you know. Um, yeah. So something that I I personally and I encourage all teachers, like, in, around me to do, I make a point whether it's mealtimes or first thing in the morning to like creep out for five minutes if I can and go down to the next room daily. I, oh. I know that like some places that's hard, but like, no, you're right. The kids can't come see me, but I can go to them. And like this next week I'm getting six kids moved into my classroom. They mm -hmm. all already know me. They're not like, you know, they're, they're excited to come play with Miss Rachel. Because yeah. That I, builds that trust and relationship from the beginning. Right. Yes. Yes. So, and it's that I'm having conversation with the prior teacher as well so that it feels like, I, I mean, we are friends, but there's that relationship there where they feel open to, okay, privy, I'm going to share this information with you. Maybe like, yeah, there are three, but maybe you kind of have some suggestions too. Like I taught twos for a long time. So I was lucky with the prior teacher where I work, like us kind of rolling ideas off of each other. But I will say, like, it's made it such an easier transition. And then, um, like, I see parents that pick up. And I try to I try to talk to every parent, even if I don't really know them. Like, something as simple as, like, hey, hi, how are you? I can tell you the majority of the parents that are moving this next week are comfortable because they know who I am. Their child knows who I am. You know, they get it. When they leave, I'm usually in the office talking to my bosses. And they're like, Rachel, you know, and they come hug me. But that's an effort that I make as a teacher to make that transition. But again, it's another way to like make something scary easier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're lucky to have you for sure. I mean, that's important to, it's not only important, but it's rare, sadly, that right. people take the time to do that. Um, so, I mean, I commend you. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Putting in that effort to build those relationships is, is a vital part of this work. And so I was thinking an, another Another strategy, I think, um, and again, something not all programs can do, but I think something else that makes us a little bit easier is mixed age groups, because mm -hmm. then often it's not an adult that needs to be that doing that encouraging and helping along. It's the fact that they have a near peer who is just a little bit uh, further along developmentally than they are, that they, they, they might see trying a new thing and they get that, they, they it gets it gets into their peripheral vision kind of that way. And then it makes it a little bit easier for them to face that fear or take, take that risk or do that new thing for themselves. Cause this, this guy, that's kind of my buddy um, is, is already doing that. Um, is that, does that make sense? Is that a real thing? Or is that just something yeah. I just made up? No, I know. I witness it in my program all, all the time. I witness it with my kids just this last week. So for sure it's resonating with me. <laughs> I mean um, where I work at, like, I obviously I'm the three-year-old teacher, you know, but we do a lot of things with pre-K too. And that goes all the way up to five years. So, I mean, sometimes you see benefits in there, but like my own personal experience, my son's in the school age room. And so the school age room is kindergarten to 12 years old. That's awesome. Know? And his closest friends there, well, 
he likes one little boy who's a year older, but the rest of the boys he plays with are like 12 years old. And it's beneficial for him. He's learning things. He's, you know, he's like, I know they're, I'm not scared to go on the field trips because I know so-and-so is going to sit next to me and I'm going to feel safe next to him. And I'm like, for my mom heart, knowing he has that friend, that's so much, you know, because sure. they go, they go on far. Like, I won't say super far. I don't not not sure how familiar people are with Springfield, but they go to like Peoria, which is an hour and a half away. That's an hour and a half that I'm not near my child. And, you know, if he's scared, what it, like, there's nothing I can do, but I know, um, yes, he has a relationship with his teachers. One, he likes his teachers and two, he has that friend that's going to, they don't make fun of him for being smaller. They're like, I'll hold your hand, you know, it's okay. And so that, that for me as a parent is beneficial too. That melts my heart and it makes me, um, it makes me feel hopeful because I think yeah. we get often inundated with how awful children are and how mean kids are, especially school age children. Um, mm -hmm. You hear a lot of, you know, the bullying stuff in the media. And I mean, it, it does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but <clears throat> the other day I took some other kids that I was caring for. I was just doing some babysitting and I took them to the park and there were, there are three their twin two-year-old or three-year-old twins um and they wanted to go I don't know if you guys have seen like these new parks are getting these giant they're like merry-go-rounds with nets on them and the oh. kids can like go inside and then they like and spin around. Oh, okay yeah so it's it's interesting it's hard for me to describe but the kids can go inside they can also climb on the outside and then it spins around so they need like oh, an older oh, or bigger person to spin the thing and my little ones were watching probably these 12 to 14 year old um, kids. It was a group of them. They were there with no parents. I had watched them like meet up at the park and they were playing on this structure thing. And my littles were watching them. And, and I was like, you can ask them if you um, can have a turn and get on there. They just, they don't know that you want to go on. And so they went up there and they asked and I was sat back for nearly 30 minutes and just watch these older kids treat my little kids with such kindness and such patience. And one at one time, like my little one stick, stuck his leg out too far. And this 12 year old little girl was like, nope, put your leg back in there. I'm not spinning it until you put your leg back. And like, it was just really cool to see these, they had no parents around. No one was like keeping an eye on these kids and seeing how they were treating others. And I don't even think they really even saw me because I was kind of sitting on a bench and it was just really awesome to see that. And I feel like my kiddos were being really like taking more risks and they maybe wouldn't have done that thing had there not been a really inviting group of children on it. Right. Sure. Um, which, sure. which, yeah. That's a great, so I saw, say, I saw that, I, oh, go ahead. I'll say, um, I know my son behaves better too. When there's like a 12 year old around, he's like, mom, I gotta be cool right now. Okay. Do you see, <laughs> do you see George over there? That's my friend, George. And I'm like, oh, yeah, do you want to say hi to George? No, mom, I'm cool right now. And it's just like all of a sudden all the crazy stops. And I'm like, can George come over? Can George hang out, please? I feel I, I feel that I, I try to I try to act cooler when there's uh, there's teenagers around, too. Um, I want to <laughs> don't want to be that weird old guy. I want to be right. cool. Um, so so at the at the pool here here uh, at the snuggery the other day there are some uh, some kids hanging out this is four to 12 year olds and they're doing this thing they're doing this thing they have a pool noodle right and and when one of these it's all dudes one of these dudes is standing at the at the edge of the pool with his heels kind of off the edge of the pool 
um, face it with his back facing the pool, holding onto the pool noodle. And then another guy is holding onto the other end of the pool noodle. And then they are both pulling. So putting tension on the pool noodle. And then the guy on shore, on shore, on the, on the, on the deck, uh, randomly lets go. So the other guy falls backwards into the water and they are just howling and laughing and giggling and just having a great time doing this. And I noticed there's a, a probably six, seven year old that's just kind of, kind of watching on the sidelines. Um, and, and he's, he's being encouraged to try, but no, no, somebody else can go next, that kind of thing. He's not really sure of it. And it, it goes on for about 15 minutes. And, and then this guy, everybody else has had like four turns by then. And, uh, then finally this guy gives, gives it a go. And of course, big smile as he's falling into the water and, uh, everybody is cheering him because he, he finally did it and everything like that. But it was, it was that opportunity to build up that trust in, in the scenario and maybe in his buddies um, to not let go until he was ready and, and that kind of stuff. But I think it would, I, I think if it would have been adult, an adult urging him on, um, it would have been a lot harder for him to, to do that than just letting it happen kind of, kind of organically with his, with his peers. That like reminds me of how we were trying to teach my son to swim. Um, I think it was like two years ago. He stayed with my mother-in-law every day, and he was really into bulldozers, like heavy equipment. Um, and so my mother-in-law's like, make your hands scoops, make them excavators, and excavate the water. Like, you know, she's trying to make these examples that he can relate to. And for the life of us, no, he didn't care. He would not do it. Well, one day, um, my nephew's son was over, and he's a year older than Sebastian. And he just, he didn't have one of those puddle jumpers on and he took off and ran and jumped in the pool and started swimming. That child, my adorable, wonderful son decides to do the same thing and gets up and starts swimming, like immediately starts swimming. And I'm like, so that's all it took was he had to be as cool as his cousin. Like he needed that little like positive peer pressure. Whereas when we're like, come on, let's swim. Like you're old enough now. That wasn't, you know. He's like, I don't care because I know you, you'll you do it for me if I need you. Like, if it, when it comes down to it, if I scare you enough, you're going to do it or you're going to take me out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. not, it, there's no embarrassment. There's no, like, there's no need to do it. Now, when his friend's over, that would be embarrassing to have mom like, come on, we're going to swim. Get those ex excavators out. Let's scoop. <laughs> like, he was swim not, not going to let that happen. I think water is a big fear for kids too, like swimming and all that. It's they have a self-preservation. Mm -hmm. They're like, um, I could drown. Like <laughs> they have that yeah. in the back of their minds. And so um I think to want to do that when you don't know how is like it's a big ask for kids mm -hmm. who are fearful, you know. And so to have that motivation of his cousin, right? Yes. Um, to have that motivation is something that like happens everywhere all over the world all the time from like our cousins our peers our neighbors um and i just feel like we need to relax as adults and like just they will figure it out if you provide them with opportunities to engage with lots of experiences and lots of different people just so, let it be so in the last 27 minutes and 47 seconds we've uh we've shared a bunch of stories about how hey somebody tried a new thing and it worked out uh but that's not always the case what about no. those times where we try new things 
and it's it's just a it's a fucking hot mess um things things go 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 down down the tubes and um so what happens when we do encourage a kid to do something and they they continue to fall on on their on their face on the BMX track, or they they try jumping off the the wooden pool wooden uh, wooden spool on the playground, and they they trip and they they fall on their face or 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 those those fails, um, and then it it puts them off of that thing for a, I mean maybe forever, probably not forever, but. How do we how do we handle those situations? Because because we can we can think we've got the relationships down and we we can think they're going to be successful, but that's not not always the case. I think it's like go, goes back to again to relationships of like when is what what is this child's threshold? You know, like they fell down. Like I knew that that little girl would calm down in a short amount of time and probably be willing to try again. Um, versus some kids, you're like this was a big fall for them. I know them, they're not going to like bounce back to their executive function in like a short amount of time. So let's go home. Um, And when things fail, I think it's important to see the reaction of was how scary was that? You know, because I I mean, I've had moments, uh, I had a little girl who we were using these like bow and arrows on the playground and she did not want to use it. She was really scared and they just had little suction cups, you know, nothing crazy. And she just didn't want to use it because she was, I think the game that was going on, because there was these little darts and stuff flying around. And I had encouraged her to try it. And I would let, I would show her how to use it when she was ready. So finally she came up to me and she wanted to turn. And I was like showing her how to pull the thing back and let it go. And her very first one, she pulled it and she snapped it and it like hit her ear. Yeah. And her ear was like all red and she screamed and cried. And she never touched that bow and arrow again. And I think, and I, and I didn't want to push it because I was like, why? You know, she, it's not a thing that she needs to do. She doesn't need to learn how to use a bow and arrow. And so I, I took it as like, okay, this is a thing that a risk that didn't work out for her. So instead of pushing that same exact risk, then why don't we just look for other risks for her to take? You know what I mean? To still build that risk taking and resilience and, and initiative without it being the bow and arrow. Sure, because I mean, oh. the the chance she's going to end up in sort of some sort of Katniss Hunger Games scenario <laughs> is very, very low, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I guess what I'm taking away from that is like doing an assessment of how important the impact of whatever said activity situation is for future. Right. But I, I also think even with that, it's important to have a conversation of like, good job for trying, good job for... Mm-hmm you know, putting on that, that opportunity to do it. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe right now, um, there's things like Sebastian's failed. And I'm like, you know, that's hard for a five-year-old. Maybe when you're six, you know, we can put, or, you know, like maybe this month it's hard, but next month it's not hard, but having a conversation and allowing them to know, okay, you're safe as of right now. Like, okay, you had a little injury. Yes. But we know not to do that again. Right. And it's a learning experience gonna, for sure. Right. We're going to do it another way. And like I said, we're planners. So ABC didn't work out for me. What can I do for DEF? Like in the future, if I do decide to try it again. And then just when we feel self-regulated enough, like if Sebastian feels comfortable, he'll approach me about it typically. And I'm not saying every child would, but you can always like later on down the road say, hey, 
would you like to try this again? Or are we still like, you know, hands mm-hmm. off on at this point and respecting that decision? Yeah, I think what you're speaking to is like growth mindset, right? Like it's okay mm-hmm. to fail. We all fail. That's how people learn. And that's how we learn what we like and don't like, right? We try things and we don't like it. Um, but that there are some things that just because you weren't good at it the first time doesn't mean you don't like it or that it's not ever going to work out. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's asking those questions periodically, just opening that door, um, inviting them to do something, even though you think, uh, this kid never does artwork. I'm not going to invite them over, you know, but you should, because you never know what if it's an art project they feel like making that day. What if their mom's birthday is next weekend and they decide, yeah, I want to make her a card. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's for me as an educator, I just, want to make sure that I'm not developing almost like biases toward children as far as like their mm-hmm. likes and interests and what they're capable of because you you can almost fall into like you think you know them so well um, sure. that you that you think that you know how they're going to react to something so just always keeping that that growth mindset opening that that door for them to develop a new interest or put away an interest that is no longer serving them I think another thing that can be helpful is, especially when you're going to, you're, it's a child you're with for, for a long, a long period of time, or, or if you're a program that has the consistency from room to room that you help kids from very early ages, um, become good at failing. Um, we're living in a world where, where kids are, are t- often terrified of, of failure, but when we can, we can learn to failure and bounce back and try again from, from, from our earliest days, it makes us a lot more, a lot more resilient right now. We're living in a world where there's their third and fourth graders having anxiety attacks and scared to raise their hand or answer a question in, in class because they're, they're afraid it's going to be the, the, the wrong answer. And they're going to be judged by that to, to such an extent that it, melts their little souls, I guess. And so helping them understand that failure is just a, a step towards success is, mm-hmm. is kind of a vital thing, I believe. So that it's hard to feel sense. that in the moment when you're failing, you know, so it's right. like sure. it's for us to like continue to have those conversations, especially after the fact, right? Sometimes when a child's in the moment of failure, we want to like encourage them and be like, you did it. And like, it's okay. And they're still in that, like, emotional brain like their limbic system you know and so we should sometimes wait what well, we should wait till they're in their frontal lobes and they're able to actually you know use their best their whole brain um to be able to have those conversations and and understand that it's okay to fail not only is it okay but it's important to fail we need to fail something like that reminds me of like my son playing sports He's horrible with losing. Worst sportsmanship you'll ever see, right? Um, He gets it honestly. But I will say that something that one of his friends taught me, I overheard his parents saying like, okay, we lost this game, but what is losing? We have such this like bad idea about failing and losing. It's like our own mindset of what we have defined it as. But like it can always be spun around, right? So whenever Sebastian loses at a sport, um, we tell him now, I got this from another parent of um, losing is just learning how to win. Mm-hmm. So you saw what mistakes you made and you can tweak that to learn how to win the next time. Right. So failing is just learning how to succeed. You saw what steps you took that failed, you know, necessarily. Um, and I'm thinking for like, an, kind of like an older mindset, but like now you know what you could do differently to succeed. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's like the NBA players, like after a loss, they don't just say, all right, we'll see you guys tomorrow. They go and they look at the tape, right? Right. They they analyze what didn't work and they don't, I mean, I'm sure sometimes they get hard on themselves, but like they know they're going to lose. They're not going to win every game. So they're not going to go in the locker room and cry after every loss. It's just like, okay, what what can we do do to, to use this loss, this failure to better myself? Because there's nothing, you can't go back. You can't go in the past. You can only look forward. Yeah, right. seeing those missteps as learning experiences. Yeah. So any other any other thoughts or paths we need to go down on this on this one? Oh, I feel good. I feel like I, I this was something that's been like stewing in my mind and I feel like I needed to like hash it out. And I, yeah, I think that there are there are a lot of nuances, but I think really it comes down to relationships and and knowing when to step in and when to step out. Sure. Yeah. I, I think this bumps think up this against is- Oh, go ahead. I was gonna. I was just gonna say. I don't think this is something that people really like. It's kind of subconsciously happens. Um, I don't think teachers, parents, caregivers, anybody actually not encourages out like purposely to be mean or forceful. I would like to say. I would like to think. You know, but um, it can be. You know, and sometimes yeah. pushing that encouragement can have more of a detrimental effect than if you just allow the child to make the decision at their own. Mm-hmm. I I don't see the world as, as as rosy as you do, Rachel. I think there are way too many adults that are pushing way too many kids to do things that they aren't interested in all the time when it comes to especially pushing early academics. Oh um, God, yes. I mean, I I was I was rewatching. We recorded. I can't remember who I recorded with uh, a long time ago about uh, uh, a preschool uh, a toddler a t- teacher who who was. Uh, was uh, putting toddlers in the high chair to make them sit through through circle time so that they would get their learning in. Um, so, you know, that mm-hmm. stuff is happening all the time. I think I think this topic kind of bumps up against the the resilience episodes I've been doing with with Stephanie lately, because uh, um, I think I think kids who are a little bit more resilient um, and able to bounce back a little bit easier from from missteps are more willing to try new things. And so building, helping kids build resilience is kind of maybe a, a way to help them um, uh, try new things a little bit more often. So if you're interested in those episodes, you might want to check them out. If you have thoughts or comments or questions about this episode, um, you can't call or text the voicemail because I got rid of that. Because uh, look, the federal government apparently, look, here's what's going on, I think. Um, the federal government was trying to crack down on cell phone text spam right okay and so um they they wanted to run my the company wanted to run my personal information against like a a government um a database to make sure i wasn't a nefarious texter or something like that and they wanted too much personal information from me and i've got a i've got a fuck the federal government uh mindset all of the time just about <laughs> anyway and so i disbanded that i let go of that phone number uh so now if you want to reach out to the show, you go to go to myplayhaven.com where we set up our, our our community of practice. There's a link in the show notes. And if look, you got to register, you type in your email address and you set a password and a username and and then you you confirm an email to make sure your email address is the right one. And then you're in and you can you can connect with uh with our, our growing community of people there that 
like to talk about this kind of stuff. So check it out if you want to. And if you don't, I totally get that. I don't want to pressure you. Um, but again, if you want to try a new thing, it might be something worth trying. This has been the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast. We'll be back the next time I'm with uh, Rachel and Rebecca. I'm going to ask them the blood questions. So uh, look forward to that. Back Bye-bye. soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>